0: We also need to have the prerequisite of praying for wisdom, not praying for direct revelation, but just praying that we would have God's wisdom. I would understand his word better yeah. so that I can see how to apply it into my practical life. And that's just going to help you to see like, Hey, he loves me. He gave me his word to give me a good life. And so when I'm using it to make decisions, it's a something to be happy about. I don't just need to feel better. I need the
1: truth. And ultimately, that will make me better. I just want to make it as simple as possible for ladies to see that the Bible is really applicable to their everyday life. When they understand theology, the application flows out of it quickly with joy. It is a journey, but even the journey itself is joyful when I'm doing it, holding the hand of my Savior and trusting Him all along the way. This is the Joyful Journey Podcast a podcast to inspire and equip women to passionately pursue beautiful biblical truth on their journey as women of God. When you choose truth, you're choosing joy. Hello, this is Janet once again, back with Jocelyn. Hey, friends. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about biblical decision-making, something that I think we do, we make decisions all day long, but I'm not sure that many of us would be confident in how we do that. And some people are so worked up about their decision making that they get stuck and they can't make
0: any decision. And some people just make decisions in a lot of ways that might be unbiblical. And one of the reasons I think it's important to talk about is that there's no such thing as a small decision. Yeah. Each decision leads to a future decision. So all decisions are important. Well,
1: now I'm paralyzed, Jocelyn. (laughs) I'm afraid to make the wrong
0: one. That's a quote from a book that I read. So (laughs) don't think that wisdom came from my brain. I was reading a book on this called Decisions, Decision by Dave Swavely. And in the preface, he says this, all of our choices are threads in the fabric of our future. That's why you need to learn how to make good decisions. In fact, you need to learn it so well that you will be able to make the best choice immediately and instinctively because often... You will have very little time for extended deliberation. And I just think that's helpful. Yep. So we don't want to make decisions just based on what effects they're going to have, especially for Christians. Like Second Corinthians 5.9 says, we have a goal. We have a goal in our decisions, and that is to please the Lord. First 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Second Corinthians 5.10, they tell us that God is going to hold us accountable for every single decision that we make. And he disciplines us in love when we make the wrong ones, and he blesses us when we follow the principles of his word. So ultimately, the way we make decisions is important because it has ramifications beyond this life and on into eternity. And when you think about that, it can paralyze you even more, I guess. like, <laughs> I was like well, thanks. It doesn't only I'm now matter terrified. now. It'll matter forever. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you read for us, Janet,
1: Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Sure. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just think about all the decisions that are involved in
0: applying a passage like that. You know, like, don't store up this, do store up that, think about eternity, not about temporal stuff. So there's lots of decisions in anyone's life, but every decision has eternal impact. And so we need to be thinking about the importance of our decisions. And Mark seven twenty one says, our decisions are determined by what's in our heart, and the result of our decisions will also affect what's in our heart. Yeah. So the way you make decisions
1: is a central part of your personal relationship with God. So it's important to think about. So what do you think about, there's a variety of ways that people make decisions, What are some ways that maybe are common, but that we should avoid?
0: Great question. So we're going to talk about biblical decision-making by saying, here's how to not make
1: decisions. (laughs) Can I first just say, everything you're about to hear, I would probably be able to say there's been a time or two at least where I've done all of these Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And some people listening are going to be thinking, I thought I was supposed to do it that way. Yeah. So, we get that. And that's why we want to talk about it because we would love to help you to be more confident about right ways. Yes. Yeah. So, the first
0: way to, how to not make a decision is to use selfish or sinful motives. Mm. And that's wrong because that is a way of the world. And really, what you're doing is just looking at for you. You're yep. looking at for number one. And your primary question is when I have to make a decision, what is best for me? And that is really just a needs theology. Our needs must be met before we can reach out to others. I remember when I went to my first psychology class when I was at Purdue, we learned this exact concept as a right way of thinking. Yes. You can't make decisions for others until your own personal needs have been met first. So take care of yourself first so that you can take
1: care of others. And now compare that to John 13. Yeah. It's And Jesus at the Last Supper. Yeah. It's like
0: who said, I will do it all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: one of the reasons that it's bad is because it's not considering what God wants. And it's not considering what's best for other people. It's just focusing on what I can gain from this decision. Yeah. So we need to watch out for worldly motives, like First John 2.16 says. And then Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, it tells us, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. We're yeah. not supposed to carefully determine what I want. Yes. I mean, I'm pretty good at telling you what I want. <laughs> I don't even have to think hard. I don't even have to think hard. <laughs> but if your primary focus is on yourself instead of the glory of God and the good of others, You're definitely not going to make good decisions, at least good in the long term.
1: So, on that, I think that's really practical because I think, first of all, people are going to hear that and go, well, duh, I'm not supposed to make sinful decisions. I frequently hear this I know that I'm being (laughs) selfish, blah, 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 but what do you think I should do? Yeah. And I will say the first thing you have to do is get that log out of your eye or you cannot see clearly to make a good decision. So, if you're not dealing with those selfish desires and repenting, You can't even tell yourself, I know it's there, but maybe I'll still have wisdom to make a good decision. I have to get the log out first. Yeah, totally.
0: So the second way how to not make a decision is to use superficial or whimsical methods. And what I mean by that is you're like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to choose one of them. I'm not going to agonize about it. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to pick an option and go with it. Like, People flip a coin, do eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yep. And the reason that... I mean, this is very appealing. I want to choose that way. Oh,
1: it would uh, be so much easier.
0: I had to make some super hard decisions this summer about my job. And I just wanted to do this. I was like, someone flip a coin and tell me what to do. Yes. Skywriting. And the, right. The reason yeah. it's appealing is because it takes the onus of responsibility off of you. Yes. So you leave it up to fate. And then if something goes wrong, well... Not my problem. I didn't choose it. It chose me. Like so one of the ways that Christians sometimes do this is by the flip and point method of reading the Bible. Like, I need (laughs) God's wisdom. What does God say? So you can flip and point, which is really, really unwise because you could put your finger on a verse that is completely not God's will for what should be happening in your life. And just because it came from the Bible doesn't mean that that's what you should do. Right. Ephesians five fifteen through 17. Are you willing to read that for us, Janet? Sure. That passage teaches us that it's really not in God's will for us to lead a kind of a flippant
1: life like that. We're not supposed to be just superficial in the way that we live. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's so helpful, isn't
0: it? It's foolish to make life decisions using chance. Yes. And here's why.
1: God gave us a brain and he gave us his wisdom and he wants us to use both of them. You know, one thing we do have to at least acknowledge is that the scripture does talk about instances where people cast lots or in the Old Testament, the priest would have what they called the urim and thummim and, and he would use that to determine God's will. Mm-hmm. And they're in the Old Testament, that is part of what God chose to use. Now, we have the completed word of God. Right. We have the Bible. And Jesus never taught us to do that. We are to follow the principles that he's already given us. So especially now, New Testament believers are
0: never commanded to use chance to That's make right. decisions. Although we may have seen that happening in scripture, either prescribed by the Lord By God, with the Israelites using the Urim and Thummim, or even just recorded instances where people did cast lots. Right. Just because it's recorded does not mean it's prescriptive in the New Testament. Right. A third method that is not a good way to make decisions is special revelation. And, you know, I bring this up tentatively because this is a prevalent method of making decisions in some quarters of Christianity today. Yeah. So, what I mean by that is that. Someone believes God literally physically spoke to me in an audible way, or God sent a representative to convey his message to me, like an angel appeared to me and told me what to do. And there are Christians who would not believe the same way that we do on this topic. I would like to be gracious. Right. The bottom line is that in special revelation, you believe that God is using some method other than the Bible to tell us something. And like... What they received from God or is representative was something more personal and more specific than the commands and principles of Scripture. So again, it's true that God did speak to humans in that way in the past. We can see it all over the Bible: Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Elijah. The reason it's different now is they didn't have the full written revelation of God like we do. God was still revealing truth to them and the canon of scripture wasn't complete, but now the canon of scripture is complete. God is revealed to us. Everything he wants us to know and, reassuringly, everything we need to know in order to live godly lives, and we can find that in the pages of the scripture.
1: Yeah, and I love how, I mean, he's told us that in a variety of ways. Hebrews 1, I love this, where God addresses that. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Mm -hmm. It's done. He spoke by his son. And then yeah. we see in, I think it's Second Peter, that we have all we need yes, we don't for life need and godliness. Yep. So God has made it clear that we now have all that we need. One quote from the book that I studied on this that was really helpful
0: to me was this. God does speak to us today, and he does so practically, personally, and always quite eloquently. But he does so through the written word of God, made understandable in our hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit of God, and that is the only way he speaks today. Yeah. A fourth way to not make decisions is to use supernatural signs. And that's really related to what we just talked about, special revelation. But it's a little different in that God sends a miraculous sign to show us what to do. It's like kind of like the equivalent of God speaking to the person.
1: But we're looking at a circumstance. But we're like, maybe. Right.
0: We're looking at a circumstance. And specifically what it's talking about is that something is happening supernaturally. Yeah. So outside of the normal nature of things so special revelation would be like saying god said to me go to the right and a supernatural sign would be like something happening pointing as an indicator that you should turn right so it's just a little shade different but ultimately the source is extra biblical which means i needed something more than the scriptures and a lot of people use this example, and I think if they understood the context, they would realize it is not a great example. So, a famous Bible example is when Gideon put out the fleece, actually twice in Judges 6, 36 through 40, instead of just believing what God had said. So, in that time, God spoke, but what God had said is that Gideon was going to deliver Israel from the Midianites if he would just obey God's commands. Yeah. And so, what the fleece was either God will make my Fleece, my sheepskin, all wet with the dew, supernaturally when everything else was dry, or the other way around. Like right. God would make it and dry when everything both. else. Yep. So he asked for both sides of it. But the reason he did that is because he was scared yeah. and he lacked the faith that God
1: was going to do what he had said he was going to do. And I think about that. And if we think about what we said in other episodes, when you read the scriptures, it's about God, man, and God's plan. What do we learn about God from that? How gracious he yes. is. Yes. That he condescended to help a man weak in faith. Yes. What do we learn about this man? He was weak. He was Can weak. I relate? Yeah. So I look at that. This was not intended to teach biblical decision-making. Right. But it does show us the character of a gracious God. So just the other day,
0: someone said to me, so I put my fleece out. Like, that was a good thing. And I was like, do you know that's not a good example? That's right. like Cain saying, am I my brother's keeper? You are, actually. Yes. Don't be quoting a murderer. Like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So... When someone talks about using a fleece to make decisions, that is not a good way to do it. And the reason that there are problems with this is that that approach can be a disguise for our own sinfulness, or even just not thinking through it carefully. If you have received clarity from God's word, what your job is to do is to just trust it and obey it. Yeah. And sometimes we want a supernatural sign because God has clearly spoken against something, and we really... We don't want to obey it. We want to We would to do. like an exception. We would like an exception. Yes. So here's an example. I really want to commit adultery with this hot guy at work. If God makes all the green leaves on the tree in my front yard
1: turn brown overnight, it's a sign he's okay with it. Why <laughs> is this wrong, Janet? <laughs> because I've heard from God and he's not okay with it. <laughs> he's not pro-adultery? He says it all over in his word. So... You're asking for a
0: supernatural sign, and often it's connected with a desire to not have to obey the Bible. Yeah. So I need something extra. And also, we believe that God doesn't use supernatural signs like that anymore. He did use supernatural signs in the Scripture to indicate a couple of things, and one of them was the uniqueness of someone or something who was speaking for God verbally or through the writings of Scripture, like it was meant to validate them. Yes, it authenticated the message. But now that scripture is complete, there is no more need for supernatural signs. Right. So here's a couple of methods about decision making that we should be wary about. They're not necessarily wrong, but we have to be really, really careful about how we use them. And the first one is discovering God's will. This one contains truth, but it's often misapplied. I hear this all the time. I'm just trying to find the will of God for, about this situation. I just want to do whatever God's will is, which is commendable. Absolutely. We want to do the will of God. We want to please God. But the reason this one gets a little blurry is because they misunderstand what the Bible means by the will of God. So this is going to be a little highfalutin theology. Bear with me because it will make it matter. <laughs> it matters. It matters. So let's discuss what the will of God means, quote unquote, will of God. So the first thing it means is the sovereign will of God, which is sometimes called the secret or decretive will of God. And that basically means God's preordained purposes, like he has planned from before the creation of the world that this event will occur in the universe or in our lives. And the reason it's called the secret will of God, can you guess why?
1: It's a secret. It's
0: a secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we can't, we cannot know ahead of time what God has planned will happen, except for times where prophecies were recorded in the Scripture. So it's right. Sure that's we believe clear. the word. Isaiah forty six nine through eleven says His sovereign will is exhaustive and comprehensive, and it includes details as little as where a bird will fly, and even choices of individual people. It includes things like natural disasters, and even the bad things that happen to people. One of my goals at some point is that we can do a recording of an episode on the providence of God, yes. which really talks about this topic. It's very difficult to think about because it's just uncomfortable. Right. It's uncomfortable to think that God knows even when people will sin. But Ephesians one eleven summarizes it well. He chose us in advance. There's things that he chose in advance. Yeah and the only the literal only way that we can know the sovereign will of God is we can look backward and see that God has allowed something to happen. Here's the thing, you cannot disobey the sovereign will of God. God's it's impossible. It will not be thwarted. It will not be thwarted. And so I think sometimes when people are looking to find God's will, what they want to know is what has God already decided will happen so that I can get on board with it. When we don't need to know what God has decided will happen in order to know how to make wise decisions, right. we can know what the sovereign will of God is when we look back and see, like this. The sovereign will of God was that I marry Brian, because I look back and I did marry him, in fact. Yep. The sovereign will of God was that I have two daughters. I didn't have to think, how many children should I have? The sovereign will of God was, you will have two daughters, because I look backward in my timeline and that's what He has allowed to happen. So the second kind of The will of God is called the moral will of God, which is sometimes called the revealed will of God. So this is not what he has planned to occur, but what he commands and what brings him pleasure. It's the moral will expresses what should occur. And what should occur is not always what does occur. That's right. So the will of God made known to men throughout the written word of God can be found in A whole bunch of passages like Psalm 40, verse 8, Romans 2, 17 and 18, Ephesians 5, 17. But the moral will of God is something we can know. We can understand it ahead of time. And how do we know the moral will of God? We can look in the Bible and read that God has declared something is right and good for us. So you can't disobey the sovereign will of God, but you can disobey the moral will of God. Yes. So let's talk about how people sometimes get in trouble making decisions by, quote unquote, knowing the will of God. Sometimes I think we're trying to figure out what God has sovereignly decided will happen instead of just
1: researching what God says should happen morally. And let me give you an example, because that's exactly right. And when you mentioned, you know, God's sovereign will was that you marry Brian because you're married. Right. And I have no reason to think it wasn't his moral will, but they're not always the same. No, they're not. So I look at back when I was getting married. Before I got married, no one wants to marry the quote unquote wrong person. Right. Well, how will I know? And I can remember, because I'd been, I was 28, so I was a little bit older, and I can remember praying and saying, based on what I know from your word, Brent is the right kind of person. Right. And here was additional wisdom. I've talked to people who didn't have rose colored glasses and want to marry him to find out what they believed of his character. I've seen him with, so it's, I believe biblical decision-making that me marrying Brent was a God-honoring decision. The day that we married, I even said to the Lord, we got married at night, I believe this decision honors you. If it's not what you want, I know you can still stop it. Yes.
0: Supernaturally.
1: Yes. In any way. So, but it was right for me to pursue it because it was within his moral will for me to pursue it. I didn't know whether or not it was his sovereign will till after we said I did. Yes. Then I knew it was not only his moral will, but it was his sovereign will. But and, I'm not responsible for the other one. Right. Only the moral will. So I could with confidence say, I believe he's the right kind. If he's not who you want me to marry, I know you can stop it. I also can be confident That this is within your moral will. And so I can proceed confidently, but I won't know until after.
0: And what's so interesting is I just said, like, the sovereign will of God was that I marry Brian, but you could have made a case that it was not the moral will of God because we were not living for the Lord. And I, my number one way of making decisions was selfish or sinful Mm. motives. And in God's good providence, he even worked through that. He even worked through that. So it was his sovereign will. But you could make a case that it was not his moral will because we did not love the Lord. We were not thinking about how to honor God. I was really seriously only thinking about myself when we were going forward with plans. I was not a very self-sacrificial person in any way. But I can look back and say, hey, it was God's sovereign will because look, it happened. And God has redeemed it. Like It's beautiful and precious. So we should make decisions within both the limits and the freedom of God's revealed moral will. And what that means is limits definitely narrows down our choices. Like I can't do what God has forbidden or what he said is evil. Yes. So there's limits, but there's also freedom. There's not only one single right choice. There are lots of right choices and you have the freedom to choose from them, which I just really appreciate about God. Yeah. He doesn't say in the Bible, Janet may only marry Brent. Right. It said Janet may marry any godly man who is going to lead her to follow his will better and to love him better. But it wasn't limited to just only the one person. Like That's there right. are many people it could have been. The moral will of God contains both commands and principles, but it often doesn't give us specific details. And we've done other podcast recordings about principles versus commands and how to think through that. But I think it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. hmm the will of God, quote unquote, the will of God is not some precise personalized plan that you have to discover so you don't mess up God, right. which is very helpful to hear. Yes. The will of God is that you live according to his word. And there's often really huge freedom within the written, revealed, moral will of God when you're yeah. making decisions, which is scary. Yes, it is scary because... You just want to make the one right decision and don't make any bad decisions. But it's also so freeing to trust God like he's not going to let you mess up his plan. Right. It's not mess upable. Another method that we need to be wary of is giving feelings and impressions and circumstances and counsel and desires too much authority. Yeah. So sometimes Christians rely on God to give them like this certain feeling of peace or whatever. And it might be a method where you're hoping God will speak directly to us, but it includes like... Feeling like God is calling me to do this, or God led me to, or I feel that God wants me to, or seeing things like open and closed doors or relying
1: on the counsel of others to make the decision for us. I think that's really important because I hear that with peace a lot. Well, I have peace about this decision. And I think, you know, if you look in scripture, I can't think of one time where I'm told peace is a biblical decision-making tool. No. No, so absolutely I not. So I should be careful. And open and closed doors, how do I know whether the door is open as a temptation from Satan? Exactly. Or if it's closed and God wants me to kick it down? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So what that means
0: often is they had a strong impression or a feeling that they interpret as the disclosure of divine will. And often really godly people don't actually mean, I believe God's revealing some new truth to me, but that is what that statement kind of conveys is like he personally showed through these inner promptings or signs or feelings of peace or whatever, what his will for my decision-making is. So why is that
1: dangerous? You know, I think it's more or less dangerous depending on how tethered the person is to scripture. Yes, I have some precious people that we've talked to that would say, I know that this impression is from God. And when asked why they'll say, because it's consistent with his word. I'm like, Oh, Oh, so you really are relying on the word. word. Yeah. But I got this impression. You know, how do I know that that impression was not to take me a different direction or was not Satan putting an impression in? Or if I got an impression of a certain people group, does that mean God wants me to be a missionary or does he want me to pray for them? Or does he want me to support a missionary? Or make that for supper. or Yeah. (laughs) Like it could be anything. Who knows? So to say... My anchor is the word of God. Right. Otherwise I could end up going places and really believe it's from the Lord and it may not even be tethered description. And
0: one one reason that is difficult is when people make decisions using their feelings or impressions and then it gets really, really tough. Then it doubts. It causes doubts that are really difficult for their faith. And so the problem with using things like feelings or impressions or even circumstances. Even the counsel or desires or listening to God through prayer is when those things are given authority in the decision-making process. So like you just mentioned, someone could say, I have a strong feeling about this. And the reason they listen to it is because it matches the authority of scripture. But we're not to give anything but god's word authority and our decision making and the reason it's dangerous is because all of those things are subjective yeah and like i've had very strong impressions about doing sinful things just yes. because i had a strong impression about it doesn't mean i should then go do it it was sinful and so my feelings are very subjective and scripture is black and white it's objective the commands of god stay the same for every single person who read them they never change and one of the reasons I love God's word is because it's constant. When I say God told me or God revealed to me, the only valid context that I can use that in is when I'm reading God's word. Yeah. So I can't trust a feeling or an impression to be connected to the rightness or wrongness of a decision unless my conscience is really well trained by God's word and that's just too subjective for me. Right. I need to use my conscience trained by God's word to rely on God's word. Yeah.
1: So I can say I have this impression or thought or nudge or whatever. Right. I don't know exactly why I have it. And I go to the word. Right. I and, check it out that and I'm way. I'm not going to say God can't use that. What I can say is he's promised to use his word. That's where I'm going to land.
0: And the whole open door, closed door thing is really difficult for me as a counselor because... Just because a door is open does not mean I should walk through it. Right. Who knows how that door got opened or why it's opened. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, enter the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads and to it's destruction. Open. It's open <laughs> and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those that find it are few. So I can see how someone says God allowed circumstances to happen in a way that What I thought was a godly plan was able to happen. And it seems like those are open doors. But often, when God wants us to do something, it is hard and fraught with challenges. And you have to kick doors down. It's also possible to seek counsel and to do that in a wrong way. So I just want to caveat this. Like, I'm not saying never seek counsel, but I'm saying you're commanded to seek counsel. Right. You could seek too little counsel. Or counsel from too few sources. Or you could seek counsel where you know it's going to be skewed. Yeah. So you could lean too heavily on counsel and you could expect too much from it. Like you just want them to make the decision for you. Yes. So just
1: counsel is good. Just be cautious of how you're using it. It should help you think biblically so you can make a good decision. Yes.
0: So the final one I wanted to kind of warn you of in this setting is relying on feelings of peace about a decision. And the reason it's in the second category is not outright wrong, but God does talk about peace being a part of our life in Philippians four seven and lots of other places. But the context of that passage is that our hearts and minds will be guarded with peace when we handle anxiety the correct way. So if you're anxious about making a decision, and you apply Philippians four correctly, you can expect to have God's peace guarding your heart and mind, even when you have to make a really controversial decision. Yeah, but you're going to probably still feel bad sometimes doing the right thing, but your heart and mind is going to be guarded by God's peace. So having feelings of God's peace, that passage, that is not the context of the passage for making decisions. Right. That is the context of a passage for handling anxiety. Yes. So it is true the Holy Spirit could bring something to mind or make an impression on your soul, but that's never going to conflict with God's revealed will. And your ability to be tuned into that is going to depend on how much your conscience has been trained by God's word. So you just have to be really cautious about using impressions because it could just be our selfish thoughts. Like, we just don't know. So we're never commanded to tune into our inner thoughts or feelings or impressions and circumstances to make decisions. We are commanded to study
1: scripture and to cultivate wisdom and discernment. You know, you mentioned earlier that part of the reason that we might even want to flip a coin is we don't want to be responsible for the decision. And so this is really would go along with that one. But this is going to sound odd. But I have talked to at least three people recently who use submission as a way to avoid feeling the weight of a decision. That's challenging. Which is interesting. And, and I can understand that. We are commanded to submit to our authorities. That is good and right. We do a whole session on it. You can listen to that episode <laughs> But when a person's been given the weight of a decision, we can even use I want to submit as a way to convince myself it's scriptural when really I just don't want the weight of you the decision. You just don't want to make the decision. When it's my decision to make. And it, This has happened in all kinds of different circumstances. And I think it's just a reminder. I need to know my own heart. This is where counsel could be helpful. Yeah. Don't go to them saying, what should I do? But help me think through my thoughts where they could say, that's not a submission issue. You need to make this decision in a way that would yeah. honor the Lord, trusting his sovereign will you can't touch. And if what you're doing is within his moral will, you've already pleased freedom. him. Yeah. So again, knowing our motives is crucial. Yeah.
0: Friends of Joyful Journey, we have an exciting opportunity happening during the month of November. Our annual subscriber gift is back. Did you know you have the option to become a monthly giver to the Joyful Journey podcast through our website? Happening now through the end of November, any of our subscribers, current or new, who give a recurring gift of at least $10 per month, or a one-time gift of 100 will be contacted to receive an exclusive Joyful Journey. It's a new color. Shipping is still limited to the continental United States only. Sorry, overseas friends. All you have to do is head to our website, joyfuljourneypod.com, tap Donate to Joyful Journey. Fill out the form and watch for a thank you email from us with a link to submit your address. If you're already a subscriber, you'll be receiving one of these emails too. Your generosity also funds scholarships for women pursuing a Master's of Arts in Biblical Counseling through Faith Bible Seminary. We've got women taking classes now that you have helped to fund. Thank you for following, for listening, and for going on this journey with us. So let's talk about how to make decisions biblically. And there are a couple of prerequisites. The first one is just to walk in the spirit. What um, does that mean? I know, obviously it implies that you're born again, because yep. if you're not born again, you're dead and blind. But walking in the spirit will help you evaluate if your life is headed in a godly direction, like Philippians three twelve through 14 says. That passage says to press toward a goal. Like the goal is godliness. It also implies that you haven't arrived and that you're in a process. Yep. And it implies that you're taking one step at a time. Yep. So confessing sin and having an attitude of just being willing to do whatever God wants you to do will really be helpful. So one of the questions you can ask yourself as you walk in the spirit is, am I willing to obey whatever I find that God wants me to do in the scripture? So I'm not trying to craft it to turn out a certain way. Whatever God says in the Bible. I will be
1: willing to do it. And I would add to that because I think walking in the spirit, we see it in scripture. We are to walk in the spirit. And I think then we get all mystical about that. Yeah. How do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? Well, I think a few ways. One is, are you exhibiting the fruit of the spirit? Yeah,
0: definitely. Because
1: that's what we're told in the same passage. But also, are you already doing what you know God has commanded? Yes. Because if I have a track record, of walking in the spirit, it will mean I have a track record of when the scriptures say something, I have been doing them. Yes. And if I haven't been living that way, I should not expect that I will suddenly have this wisdom for this right. decision. That should be how I've been living.
0: I often pray that God would help me to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to remind me of what the scripture says. Yes. And so when it gives us the grace to obey it. when I am reminded of what scripture says, my job is to obey it. So when I think of walking in the spirit of being submissive to the spirit, I think when the Holy Spirit reminds me of scripture passages, I don't be like, Yeah, but like I'm
1: working on other areas. Yeah, right now.
0: I'm like, Yeah, okay,
1: I need to do that.
0: I n- need to obey. Yeah, another prerequisite is that we recognize the sovereignty of God. And let me just tell you, this concept was very comforting to me as I learned to make decisions as a believer. As we make choices in life, you have to recognize that God sovereignly controls everything, even the options you have in this choice yep. and the way it's going to end up. and the crazy. results.
1: And it blows but it, my mind. I don't have to be able to figure it out, but right. it's true. So
0: I can have the freedom to make choices, but I don't get to decide how those choices end up affecting my life. My choices don't have more power than God's sovereignty, which is very comforting. I cannot possibly mess God's plan up. It helps if I make decisions and plans with a strong sense of if, if the Lord wills. And I realized a couple of years ago, like, I need to say Lord willing more often than I do, because sometimes I'm like, this is what I will be doing And I'm like, why was God not on board? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So as I make decisions, I'm thinking, God's sovereignty gives me hope. I can't mess up the plan. God is using everything for good, even my own decisions, and I can trust him.
1: Yeah. I can make a God-honoring plan within his moral will and know that I've pleased him in that. And then if he changes it in his sovereign will, I can please him in how I respond to that. Exactly. Yeah. It's
0: also going to make you really happy. As you settle into God's really good control over you, you're going to have way less reasons to be anxious. Yeah. So, Romans 11:33 says, "Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways." It must be concluded, God is doing something amazing in your life. You are responsible for choices, but you cannot mess up God's sovereign plan for you. And Praise what he decides, is always for our good. We also need to have the prerequisite of praying for wisdom, not praying for direct revelation, but just praying that we would have God's wisdom. I would understand his word better yeah. so that I can see how to apply it into my practical life. And that's just going to help you to see like, hey, he loves me. He gave me his word to give me a good life. And so when I'm using it to make decisions, it's a something to be happy about. Yeah. So let's talk about the principles of biblical decision-making. The first one is just saturate yourself in Scripture in order to be wise. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and 2 Peter 1, 3 say it's just really, really important that Scripture be what you're thinking about. Yeah. God doesn't speak to every issue, but he does teach us everything we need to know about how to make good decisions. There is just a really cool quote. I'll read a little portion of it. From the book that I read, Decisions, Decisions, it says the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy. Its precepts binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It's just this awesome quote that says the word of God is what you need. So the more you're soaking in the word of God, the more easy it will be for you to make decisions that honor God. Another quote from that book is from J. Adams, and it says, the Bible is called God's law or Torah. The word Torah comes from a figure that means to thrust out the finger in order to point the way. So it says it all. Scripture is God's way of guidance. So wisdom is just knowing what the word says and having an ability to apply it in your actual life. So we can know stuff about God, that's knowledge, but to apply what God says, that's wisdom.
1: Oh, I love that. And the more my mind is oriented to God and his ways, the more inclined I am to wise decision-making. It makes me think of the quote you said at the beginning, when we don't always have time, if I've been growing in this, I am going to want what he wants and I'm going to look at things through a biblical lens with the big picture in mind and my decisions will reflect that.
0: So the second part of the principles is just to seek wise, balanced, mature, and godly counsel to make sure you're not missing blind spots. Not to have them make your decision, but just to make sure they trained by God's wisdom, not given to extremes, tested over time and consistent with God's character. They're just helping you see bigger than you might be
1: seeing on that topic. Which I think is really valuable for when I'm asking, I know that's what I'm asking for, not what should I do. But also when people, people ask me frequently, what do you think I should do? And you know what? I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> you always have I have thoughts. I know exactly <laughs> what I think you should do, but that's not the best way. So for yes. those of us being asked, yes. even if they ask you that, if I want to be mature and godly in my counsel, I will not tell them. Do Here's unless the you scriptures should say, yeah. "You'll plead, Black and white. You should not commit adultery. I'm going to tell you that. But otherwise, am I helping them? What's going on in your heart? You know, you have a tendency. Is your idol affecting you? So I'm helping them think big picture. Yeah. So that they can be confident in their decisions. So I think that as the one asking, I should ask for that, and as the one giving it, that's what I should give.
0: I've been learning a lot with my now adult children. Adult children, children. you learn a lot, don't you? I, I do. I this is me this too. has I've tried to make this my first answer when they say what do you think I should do? I say, what do you think you should do? And they're like, Mom! "You should tell me." <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we're finally at the process of biblical decision making and you're going to hear it and you're going to be like, that's it? That's it? Yeah. What a letdown. <laughs> you built up to this big point And okay, here's what you do. The process of biblical decision-making is to examine what the scripture says about that topic. So is there a passage that speaks directly to it? And if there is, your answer is to obey it. Yep. The Bible has instant and ultimate authority in our lives. So you can be confident if God has said something about this, the best thing for you to do is to obey it. But there's other things you can consider, like, are there principles that apply to this topic? What does the Bible say about my motives in this matter? Yeah. And is my conscience clear about it? Second part of the process, think carefully through multiple righteous choices that you have the freedom to choose between. In most situations, it's not like there's going to be a bunch of wrong and right choices to consider. In most situations, it's just going to be a lot of righteous choices to choose between. Yep. And so you have incredible freedom within the revealed will of God to make choices. Enjoy that freedom. Just decide what is best for you. God reveals all the guidelines you need to know to make good decisions. And in many cases, he grows our Christ-likeness through the deciding process yes. as we use his wisdom and evaluate our desires. So the Bible teaches us that whatever choice we make, as long as there's nothing unscriptural about it, it
1: will be pleasing to God and a part of his plan for our lives. Which I think surfaces is my goal to please God or is it to make the decision that will be most comfortable for me? Yes. If yes. it's to please God, I can do it. Yeah. If it's to know what the outcome, that it's going to be the most comfortable or the easiest, I'm asking for something I can't know. And it's also revealing my heart. Absolutely. First Corinthians 6 and 10 also
0: talk about using our liberties and freedoms to serve God and others and to not serve yourself. So there's yeah. that one little caveat. Yep. You do have incredible freedom. But we are commanded to restrict our freedoms to serve other people. Right. So it's not, again, it's not a self-centered and selfish motive. The third part of the process is just to ask yourself what is wise and what is loving. First Corinthians ten twenty three says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And first Corinthians sixteen fourteen says, let all that you do be done in love. So there's... From a practical point of view, like this is the nitty gritty where I spend a lot of my time when I'm helping people. There are lots of tools you can use to think through choices. Like you can do a pros and cons list. You can do a choices and consequences examination. You can get all the information you can. And if you can't get information, then you can apply the holding principle. You can seek counsel. You can pray. All the tools are there just to help you think what is wise, what's the application of scripture, and
1: what is loving. My husband has said many times, and I think there's a lot of truth there, if you're at that part and you're trying to think, okay, I know now that these are not wrong options. So within these options, what would be wise here? What would be loving? And you're completely paralyzed? Not always. Frequently, you don't have enough information. Yes. So instead of just spinning, what information might help me know that? And I may need to get more information. And that's where counsel might help me. Yes. Because it might be like, well, do you know this? Do you yeah. know this? Do you know? Oh. And a lot of times it
0: gets clearer. I think our paralysis
1: sometimes is rooted in fear. Like yes. we don't know enough to right. know how to think about that situation accurately. And it could be just fear because I don't know the future. But a lot of times it's fear because I just don't know enough. Yeah. So in the event that you've got multiple right choices to choose from,
0: this is where you have the freedom to just ask yourself, what do I actually want to do? What appeals to me?
1: Do I like the red car or the blue I car? I know.
0: <laughs> God's directing each of us to do his will. But the cool thing is that God is simultaneously actually making us desire to do his will when we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Amazing. I love Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in us both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. That is so comforting. Yes. He is working inside of me to want to do the very things he wants me to do. So our desires shouldn't be given authority, but they should be considered in a case where there's not a commandment on that topic. God wants us to enjoy life. He is the source of all joy, and he allows our righteous decisions to also bring us joy. So Psalm 1611, you don't have to choose what you hate just because you think it's going to be the most godly choice. God's choices, what is consistent with his will, does not equal your discomfort and unease and hatred. Right. Like, you don't have to eat the vegetables because you think it's the most healthy. Like, people do that. Like, they do what they think is yuckiest because it's gonna be best for them. God doesn't do decisions like that. Well, obviously the one that I hate the most is the one that's the most godly. No, God gives us incredible freedom to make choices that are consistent with his will. So take into consideration the way God made you and what connects with you, what your strengths and weaknesses are and what your interests are. God has a vast amount of freedom within his moral
1: revealed will. And I will give a caveat to that because... For those people living out of their idolatry, oh yeah, God's will is very uncomfortable and it seems miserable yes. because it's not about me. It's about God. Right. So I think recognizing this is what you said at the end of the process. We've already at dealt with end. our heart. Yes. Because if I don't deal with the heart that says, I need to know that whatever happens, nothing bad will hurt me. Yeah then God's way may not be attractive to yes. me. Yes, at least I've, not attractive yet. Yes, but when I've recognized his way is better, he yeah. loves me better. My idolatry is what's killing me. When I can get to that point and then I think, okay, among these options that all bring glory to God, they're all wise from what I can tell. They were all ways to love God and love others. I get to just do what I want. Yeah, that's so is pretty exciting. Cool. It's just great to be reminded of the first quote that we read.
0: There's no such thing as a small decision. Each decision leads to a future decision. So all decisions are important. All of our choices are threads in the fabric of our future. That's why we need to learn how to make good decisions. Yep. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is that I have someone that I love that is a big part of my life who was paralyzed by decision-making for decades. Yeah, I just don't want to see people, the people of God living in that paralyzed they don't way. don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. And that's not how God wants your life to look. Like you're constantly wondering if you've made the wrong decision and if he's mad at you and if other people are mad at you. That's not freedom. God freed us from sin to be free to live within his will, in his revealed will. So I just would really love for people to be able to think through How to make decisions in a way that is helpful and not enslaving in their future.
1: Excellent. And if they want more on it, the book that we mentioned, Dave Swavely's book, Decisions, Decisions, would be another resource that we would recommend. It's a great resource. To keep from missing any future episodes, please sign up for our newsletter on our webpage, JoyfulJourneyPod.com. From there, you can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify. You can also visit us on our Facebook page or Instagram at Joyful Journey Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can also email us at joyfuljourneyquestions at outlook.com. Joyful Journey Podcast is a ministry of Faith Bible Seminary. All proceeds go to offset costs of this podcast and toward scholarships for women to receive their MABC through Faith Bible Seminary.